Supporters for this podcast and the following message comes from Disney and Pixar Soul, one of the top 10 films of the year as selected by the National Board of Review and the American Film Institute. Directed by Pete Docter and Kemp Powers, Soul follows Joe Gardner, voiced by Jamie Foxx, a musician whose passion for jazz is all-consuming until one misstep sends him on a journey to figure out exactly what makes life worth living. Stream it now on Disney+. Plus. Now nominated for two Golden Globes, including Best Animated Film, Academy Eligible, in all categories, including Best Picture. Mary Anning was an acclaimed but overlooked fossil hunter during 1840s England. Filmmaker Frances Lee has reimagined her as a sexual rebel of the times in Neon's Ammonite, starring Kate Winslet as Anning and Saoirse Ronan as her lover, Charlotte Murchison. Lee is with us today on Crew Call. So you win Best Director at Sundance back in 2017 for God's Own Country. What happens after that? Was Hollywood calling? What were your what options were there for you on the table? Um, yeah, that was that was an extraordinary experience because God's Own Country was my first film, and we'd gone to Sundance um, as a very very small film. There was nobody famous in it. Nobody knew who I was, and we arrived in Sundance. And over the course of the festival, the word of mouth on the film just built and built and built, um, and so did these amazing reviews. And uh, I, I was like so shocked and humbled to win Best Director um, at Sundance. Um, and then afterwards, yeah, there was there was quite a lot of scripts um, that came. Um, I got signed by an American agency um, pretty much immediately after Sundance. And then a whole lot of scripts came and a whole lot of meetings with very famous actors and studios. Um, and, and it was it was a, it was a really kind of somewhat overwhelming time for me, um, and uh, because I was somebody who I think had always thought I was going to um, write and direct my own material. So I understand with Ammonite, what happened was you were looking to buy a gift uh, for a friend of polished stones. And Mary Anning's name kept coming up. So that's how it, but how did it thing segue from where you were with all these offers and meetings to saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this story. I mean, I think it was because when I was reading about Mary Anning, there was something about her circumstances that just really struck me and piqued my interest. And it was the fact that here was this, this woman born into a working class um, family with no money, into a very, very patriarchal and class riddled society. And where she had such little access to education or an opportunity to change her circumstances. Um, And yet somehow she rose to being what we would now call one of the leading paleontologists of her generation. And it was that kind of will to survive that I was reading within her backstory that really pulled me to her. 
And look, you know, hey, I, I, I like was born into a very traditional working class family in the north of England. I had a very poor education. I never went to film school. And there were just some little, you know, just some little parallels there that just struck in my heart. The, um, the other, now to reimagine her as, um, uh, as a sexual rebel rebuking the code of her time, which I believe Todd McCarthy, our film reviewer, re- reviewer has called it. Um, tell me about that. I mean, that's, that's fascinating. And I have a, yeah. a thousand questions after that. <laughs> well, I, I, at the same time of, as reading about Mary Anning, I was reading a lot of things about sexuality and queer sexuality in the 17th and 18th century. Um, and how people conducted their relationships and their lives within within those those societies and those parameters. And I came across this paper written by Carol Smith Rosenberg, which which documented um, through letters, through personal letters, uh, relationships that women were having with women. And I was so struck by how passionate and emotional and heartfelt these relationships were. that, I, that it re- again, it really stuck with me. And then I came back to Mary Anning. Um, as I say, here she is, a woman, a working class woman in a patriarchal society. I wanted to give her a relationship, but I wanted to give her a relationship that felt worthy of her, that felt equal and that elevated her. And in this society where men had overlooked her and reappropriated her work for themselves, that it didn't feel that that could be with a man. Um, And because there was nothing written about Mary Anning's personal life whatsoever, you know, there's no documentation to suggest that she ever had a relationship with a man or indeed a woman. To me, it felt like a really respectful and interesting way to contextualise her. And then Charlotte uh, Murchison, was she... Was she a real person? Yeah, so Charlotte and Roderick, her husband, they're real people and they were friends with Mary Anning and they did go and visit Mary Anning. And uh, Roderick uh, left Charlotte in Lyme Regis with Mary uh, with, with the parting words, you stay and work with Mary so you become a better fossilist so then you'll be a better secretary to me. Um, And then uh, Mary, there is some documentation to suggest Mary went to London once and that she stayed with the Murchisons. The only thing I did with the Charlotte character was that I changed the timelines. I made her younger in in Ammonite. Um, She was actually about the same age or slightly older than Mary Anning in real life. And I made her younger because I wanted to, again, look at this idea of of what a woman was in this society it was an upper class woman who in a sense her only job was to get married and have a child to produce an heir and I wanted to look at a, a, a person who couldn't fulfill that who didn't have a child what would her life mean then within that society um, so I, I just pitched her younger more of a child child bearing age so in, um, in getting this project off the ground, what was the catalyst? Was it Seesaw? Once they boarded, that's when talent came 
and everything and the and the whole the whole uh the whole train move forward uh, anthony i was so lucky you know literally i had like you know i i was so blessed and so lucky that that there was an awful lot of interest from a lot of people who wanted to to kind of make a film with me um and so one of those partners was seesaw but the but the other partners had already expressed like interest in in working with me um and so um it it kind of the ball got rolling very very quickly i think i wrote the this i think i think i wrote the script in in may 2018 and we were hurtling towards pre-production in august so so it all happened pretty quick the now getting Kate Winslet on board. I know that she was a fan of God's Own Country, but I am fascinated about 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 getting her and Sersha Ronan on board. You know what I know about Kate, having interviewed her, is that she reads stuff. She reads whatever comes her way, and then when she attaches herself to it, she's very intense. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but tell me about getting Kate and Saoirse Ronan on board. Was it an easy hook? Like, oh, I sent the script and they read it and they liked it and it was a yes. Or was it a while? Was it just, am I, am I gonna get them? Am I not going to get them? Yeah, so I, so I don't think of an actor when I'm writing a script because I'm always so worried that you, you're going to send it to the person you've got in your head and they're going to say no. And then what do you do? Um, so, so I finished the script and I started to think about who I wanted to play the, the part of Mary. And, you know, in my head, I was like, I, would, I want this actor to be British and this actor needs to be in their mid-40s. And I want an actor who I think is going to really want to work the way in which I work. And also um, an actor who doesn't have any vanity. Um, and that's quite a short list, actually, of people uh, at that level. And Kate was on top of that list. So I just took a punt, you know. I just thought, the, what's the worst that's going to happen? The worst that's going to happen is she's going to go, this is rubbish. And I don't want to do it. Um, so it got sent to her agent. Her agent read it immediately because she was a fan of God's Own Country and really, really loved it. So she sent it to Kate straight away and said to Kate, if you don't read this today, somebody else might get it and you won't want to miss this. So, so you know, brilliant Kate read it that day and called me up the next day and said, I want to do it. Um, and And that was just fabulous and wonderful and um I'm, I'm actually in that initial conversation where I was pretty scared you know because I, it's only my second film I, I've never worked with anybody who's a movie star uh, with such an incredible body of work you know so much more experienced than I am and I was pretty nervous and, and I remembered saying to her you know Kate I, I, I quite like to work in a in a way in which we would work you know, for four or five months before the shoot and we will build the character from scratch and you will go out onto the beaches where Mary Anning actually fossiled and you'll actually learn how to fossil over quite a long period, over weeks and weeks. You know, how, how would you feel about that? And she just said, she paused and she said, are you kidding me? 
that's what I do. I love it. I oh, love research. I can't wait to do this. Yeah. So, so she completely jumped on board and I was very relieved. And, and Saoirse, very similarly, really, I'd, I, I'd always been a fan. I, I think her work is extraordinary. Um, I'm always surprised how young she is because there's such a maturity to her work. And and she she was sent the script and and read it and really liked it and I think also, as well as being a fan of God's Own Country, was a huge uh, fan of Kate, and and really wanted to work with Kate. So so that was perfect the way it worked out. What an amazing pairing! Uh, I know, right? <laughs> and then and then it, it the film is very much in Kate's wheel wheelhouse. I mean, both of their wheelhouses. Um, with Kate, it, 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 it's like I, I was thinking after I watched it again recently, uh, I, it threw me back to Quills, uh, the Philip Kaufman movie she did, uh, which was another sexually charged, you know, uh, you know, movie that was, you know, that was also about norms of, of the time as well. Uh, but uh, what I was curious about, well, first of all, how do you direct both of them? I mean, me, if I was directing both of them, I would be like, whatever you two think it should be, just go. I trust you. But are they, how was it, how was it to direct them? Was it a constant conversation? Yeah, it was. Because I think particularly for Kate, it was a very, very different style of performance. You know, Mary, the Mary Anning that we created is very internalized. You know, it's all about um, repressed emotion. It's about stillness. It's about loneliness and loss. And Kate, um, in her own admission, is very front-footed emotionally, is, is very there emotionally. And so it was, it was very much about orchestrating that performance between us, you know, pulling it into that, that real stillness, that real focus, that real idea that, you know, in, in terms of cinema, you're telling this story through the pictures, not the words. Um, because there isn't huge amounts of dialogue in it, and so it was. It 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 was, and it was actually a a a really brilliant experience for me to see both Kate and Sersha trust me, you know, to do something differently, to approach it differently, to to finesse a performance in a different way, and I just felt incredibly humbled and um, that, that they allowed me to push them to these, to, to these performances and to orchestrate it. Um, but, you know, first day was, was quite nerve-wracking. But once we got through the first day, I think we were okay. Supporters for this podcast and the following message comes from Disney and Pixar Soul, one of the top 10 films of the year as selected by the National Board of Review and the American Film Institute. Directed by Pete Docter and Kemp Powers, Soul follows Joe Gardner, voiced by Jamie Foxx, a musician whose passion for jazz is all-consuming until one misstep sends him on a journey to figure out exactly what makes life worth living. Stream it now on Disney+. Plus. Now nominated for two Golden Globes, including Best Animated Film, Academy Eligible, in all categories, including Best Picture. Can you tell us more about the prep with both of them? You were saying you took them out to the beaches. You know, what I know about Kate is like, like if it's a film based on a book, she'll take that book and she'll highlight it. 
she'll highlight it and make extensive notes and, and just know it in inside and out. Um, yeah, yeah her, no, that's that. Yeah, that, that that's exactly the kind of process we started, as I say, maybe four or five months before the shoot and we would meet or we would talk on the phone and on a very regular basis. And we just started from scratch. We started we started from the moment that her character was born and we slowly worked our way through her entire life until we get to the moment we meet her in the film. And we worked out every single detail of her life. You know, her, her relationship with her family, her education, her friendship groups, where she lived, what she liked, what she didn't like, what she ate, what she wore, what her experience was, what, you know, whether or not she'd had any other relationships, every single detail. And then what, what we also did, because I don't like any, um, I don't like hand doubles or stunt doubles or, or anything like that. So the actors in the, in the movies that I make have to do everything for real and they have to be as good as the person they're playing. So, you know, I think for three or four weeks, um, Kate went out onto those beaches in Lyme Regis and worked with a fossil expert and she would get up early, you know, because of the tides. She would get up, she would go out there. She, she went out in the shoes we decided the character would work, would, would wear in the film. So they were very uncomfortable. She, she used the tools um, of the period and she became a really, really good fossiler. You know, she found ichthyosaur vertebrae, she found a lot of ammonites, she found an ichthyosaur part of a skull, she was able to identify them. She became really, really good at it. Um, and, um, and I think that really shows in her performance because I think it's a very transformative performance, both emotionally and physically. Um, and, and I think that all that experience of fossiling on those beaches, as well as all the work on the character, really kind of embedded in her. Now, did you actually shoot on the Dorset coast, which is known as the Jurassic Coast? Yes, so we were very lucky and we shot, we only shot on the beaches where Mary Anning actually worked. So they were all on the Jurassic Coast in Dorset. And we, and where we had Mary Anning's house was about, I think, a hundred feet away from where the original Mary Anning's house actually was. We couldn't shoot in... We couldn't shoot in Mary's real house because they'd knocked it down. Um, so we just shunted over a little bit. So yes, we, we, we walked in Mary Anning's footsteps everywhere where we shot. How long was production? Ooh, I think six weeks. Okay, very good. The, um, the other thing I wanted to ask about was Charlotte's attire. Uh, it was very evident from the onset to me, uh, she's in black, and then she goes to dark blue. And then once her husband leaves, everything just opens up. Uh, we see her in white when she's, when she's staying alone. And then, you know, when she goes to the classical recital, she's in a nice green dress. And then ultimately at the end, she's in that embroidered um, white and red dress. Tell me about that. What a great transformation. Where is, and, and, and then juxtapose that, if you will, with Mary, who's mostly checkered blues and blues. And by the end of the film, she's wearing like purples and red. 
Yeah, so so I'm a huge fan of colour coding in a film and eradicating certain colours and using certain colours to accent um, or for accent or layering of where a character's at and what they're going through. So working with Michael O'Connor, uh, the costume designer, and Sersha and Kate, we plotted through the film these these kind of transitions or or their outfits and things. And um, and what that actually meant, and what that was representing to the to those characters at those particular times. I mean, for for Michael, the costume designer, it was quite a big challenge because here you have Charlotte Murchison, who's very rich and can have lots and lots of clothes. So Saoirse's character had loads of costumes, but Mary was very poor, and clothes were very expensive. So I said to him, she can only have three dresses. And, um, and and what we decided was that, you know, 10 years previously to when the film is set, Mary had earned some money and that's when she'd bought her dresses. So they're 10 years out of fashion um, for, for um, historical accuracy. And, and then we would talk about where are the worn bits? Where has she scrubbed them? Where have they, where have they gone thin? Where has she darned them? Um, and, and working with costume was with Michael was just fantastic in terms of being able to layer the, the storytelling on top of, of everything else. The um, we've been living in some conservative times, you know, both in in the U.S. and in the U.K. And in making this film, I was curious if it was a response to just kind of everything that's been going on, just kind of like these two rebels. Uh, looking to break free of the constraints of society. I was curious if the movie spoke to, uh, to things that were going around us today. That's a really interesting question and, and not one that I've ever considered really. I think the way in which I saw it, and I tell films very personally, um, you know, both the films I've made, God's Own Country and Ammonite, are very, very emotionally personal stories for me. But I think with Ammonite, there was there was just this sense, you know, I, as I say, I'm a working class person. I'm also queer. Um, and I think that with Ammonite, what I was trying to do was in some way um, find a way for me to understand my journey about feeling like sometimes or often an outsider or how you have to forge your own path you can't you can't necessarily go down the well-trodden path um because of the circumstances so how you how you kind of circumnavigate it or, or go in a slightly different direction to find your own um personal happiness francis i have i have one more question for you um, the ending, it, it, it feels open-ended. Was that your intention? Um, my takeaway is that the two of them, the two of them are going to be together. That's the way I, I took it since Charlotte meets Mary up at the museum. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it, again, it's, it's a super interesting question. It's not, purposefully ambiguous you know I have my answer to what I think happens and I think what I wanted to just look at was that moment in a relationship where there has been something that hasn't gone 
right? Somebody has fucked up somewhere. And then it comes to that point where you're like, okay, so we're either going to work through this and we're going to move forward and find a way in which our relationship gets better because of this, or we're not going to get there and it's going to finish. And, and I just wanted, I wanted to try and capture that moment of, you know, that moment of somebody going, I, I might have fucked up and I'm sorry, but, but I'm here and I want to talk and I want to see where, where, if we can solve this, if we can move forward. Um, and, and, you know, I love your take on it. And, and I think your take is similar to my take. Um, but then I'm an optimist. Um, but I, but I think it's just, it is just those, those moments that come up in relationships that, that can be, that can, that can transform your relationship to something even deeper, even better, even more respectful, or it can stop it. Francis Lee, the director and writer of The Most Fascinating Ammonite. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.